And now, back to David Spada and Elliot Harris for more sports and torts on TalkZone.com. Elliot, the last time we interviewed our next guest, we were on IND. We had, what, 10 minutes to talk to him? Whereas now, we had a chance to really get in-depth with him, with Joe DeLamalure, about his career and what's going on with concussions. It was really interesting. Definitely, and it's nice that we were able to expand it to as long as it was. And he didn't hold back. Not at all. So let's get right to an interview we did with Joe DeLamalure. I see that you went to Michigan State for college. How did you end up in Michigan State? I'm from Detroit, and uh, actually how I ended up there, I wanted to go to Michigan. I was Bull Schembechler's first recruit. And um, then I wanted to go to Notre Dame. And um, my dad told me I could go to neither because Duffy was the only Catholic. Duffy Doherty was Catholic. He said, so you go to Michigan State because he is Catholic. And he couldn't pronounce Schembechler, he said. <laughs> so I, how about that? Because Notre Dame's coach. That's coaching. how I ended up there. And I'm from Detroit, and a lot of guys from our area went there. Because Notre Dame's coach at the time was what, Era? Eric Parsegian, but his defensive coach was Johnny Ray, who coached both my high school player coaches. And, um, you know, I was going to go there because of Johnny Ray. But my dad and mom were okay. I'm the ninth of ten kids, so obviously we're very Catholic. And uh, my dad said, you go to Michigan State because Duffy Doherty's Catholic. I want you to be coached by a Catholic. When we inter- that's what I want there. <laughs> when we interviewed Era, I laughed. I go, Era, how did a non-Catholic become the coach of Notre Dame? He goes, I never thought about it back then. Yeah, and that's what my dad told me. He said, that guy's not even a Catholic. He, he's, I'm quoting my dad. Uh, he went to third grade. My mother went to eighth grade. And my dad said, that uh, Parsegian guy's a phony. He's not even a Catholic coach in Notre Dame. <laughs> so I said, all right, Dad. I was one of those. I was the year of you did what your parents told you no matter what. Yeah. So I did what he told me. And it was a good, good move for me. I loved it. And great friends. Great school. What, what, was it like, what was it like playing for Duffy Dougherty? Uh, he taught me a lot. He, I actually said this in my Hall of Fame speech. He, he always would tell the guys in the beginning of the year, takes three bones to play football, a backbone, a wishbone, and the most important bone of all, a funny bone. And um, I kind of live my life like that. you got to have a backbone. you got to wish for things. But really, life's kind of humorous. And then you get drafted by the Bills, and you had some big uh, expectations on you because you're what, O.J. Simpson was the running back back then. Yeah, I was... Um, Paul Seymour and myself, who also grew up in Detroit, we were the two number one picks that year. And then we had Reggie McKenzie, who was also from Detroit, uh, the year before us. So they were building a team, and Jim Ringle was a coach who uh, was a center for the Green Bay Packers at the famous Green Bay Sweeps. And that was his thing. He said, hey, we're going to run the Green Bay Sweep just like we did in uh, Green Bay with Taylor and Horney. We had Braxton and uh, Jim Braxton and OJ, and we, we did really well. He put the team together to do just that. We had two guards that could really run, and Reggie and myself could run. We were pretty quick for our side, you know, for that era. And, uh, of course, O.J. Yeah, that always helped. How much of a transition was it from from the college game to the pro game for you? How was the transition? It was um, actually I had a great coach, Coach Ringo. So he And I played in the senior bowl for them. So I, I had a little bit of a comfort feeling getting drafted by Buffalo because Coach Ringo coached me for that week with the senior ball. And then um, when we got there, he, he said, look, we're, we're not going to throw the ball a whole lot. We're going to – we're Big Ten. We had uh, – all five players were Big Ten linemen. Our, uh, Mike Motler was from Colorado. 
but he was from Columbus. But the rest of us all played in the Big Ten, Donnie Green, Dave Foley, Reggie, and myself. And um, So we were used to running the ball, and Coach Ringo, he had a great, he had a great play, and we just ran it over and over, and nobody could stop us. A lot is made that how big your helmet was, but I remember when I talked to you before, you said that O.J. had a bigger helmet than you, but he didn't want to talk about it. Not a bigger helmet. We have fat heads. Oh, fat heads? The same. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I got my my head was not as big as O.J.'s. O.J.'s got a bigger head than I do. But uh, I always would tell people all the better to block you with, like the big bad wolf. But anyhow, (laughs) you know, we... It was a different game back then. We played with, you hit with your head. And actually, all the rules, all those concussion things came because we were the guinea pigs. If you didn't put your face on guys and get blocked with your head, you weren't going to be in that league very long. And that would be like one of the first things I'd say, man, that, that guy, he's a wuss. He won't put his face in there. Then the next thing you know, they're gone. Uh, so, you know, we were the guinea pigs for the current players right now. And, uh, you know, we had head slaps. Now there's no head slaps. We had the wedge. There's no wedge. There's no uh, chop block. The turf is torn up. We used to practice not only play on it, but practice every day on AstroTurf, which is basically covered concrete. And uh, now we have all these injuries, uh, 70s and 80s, 60s, 70s and 80s guys, and uh, you know nobody wants to take care of them. And uh, that, that's the reason for all the lawsuits. But at the time when you're a player, all you're pretty much concerned about would be surviving and being on the team and making a living. And you don't think twenty thirty years down the road. Yeah, and the fans don't understand this. When you play football, when we played football, everybody say, yeah, there's a risk to it. There's no doubt there's a risk. You get a bad knee, bad shoulder, you know, break your back even. Uh, But nobody nobody even knew what a concussion was. I mean, when uh, Mike Webster passed away, and then I was talking, and Mike and I were good friends, and our family, my wife and his wife would go to, we'd go to Pro Bowls and take our kids and that. But when we were playing, nobody told us that. See, when you get a when you get hit in the head, that that could be dangerous down the road. So when Mike um, passed away in his early fifties, and they did an autopsy on him, they said it was from concussions. So I, I live in North Carolina, so we're, the people who did it were at North Carolina, and I, they wanted to talk to me about this. They said, "How many concussions did I have?" Me, I said, "Well, I don't know. What, what's a concussion?" Nobody even told us what concussion. He said, basically, when you saw it, you see stars. I said, let me tell you something. At least a thousand. Because every day we hit twice a day all through camp, then uh, twice a week during the season. And we, and then when you, when you practice, we didn't have 53 guys on a team. Where, and we didn't practice in shell, you know, the, like shells and sweats. We went full go. You know, two steps. The only thing we didn't do is take guys to the ground. And you have repetitive hits to your head, and that's what happened to our group of men who played in the 70s and 80s. And Upshaw screwed us. In 93, he took away our disability, our health. And we, we had, when you signed for your dis, uh, pensions in, um, before 93, the pre-93 guys, first of all, our union told us to take them because we're going to die at 54 and a half. And then if you're not going to be dead, they're going to, they said you'll be 65% of the guys will be disabled in some way. So why won't you take your pension? And the reason they told us to take the pension is then they took away our health, health insurance. And nobody told us that. That was, you know, it was just like when you buy a house, don't sign this, sign this, don't sign right. that. You, you have a lawyer telling you. We had no union, uh, 
you know, navigating this through these papers. And guess what? They didn't want yeah. to because that way they were off the hook for taking care of the former players. That's what the fans don't understand, and that's why there's all these lawsuits. Our union screwed us, period. That's it. Upshaw became a what? wealthy man, and Tom Condon and uh, Bertelson off the former players' backs. Why would the union do that to the players? Just, just Why would they? Because personal? they're corrupt. That's okay. plain and simple, and they still are. This Demar Smith is just like Upshaw. They do not take care of the guys. We're the only league in the world where we have Hall of Famers suing our union and the league. And it's not the league, it's the union. Our, we, there's baseball, basketball, hockey. Hockey makes more than we do in their pensions. And they're a corrupt union. Upshaw, when he died, they had a, a go to probate court, his son and his second wife. Here's the, and this is in the Chicago or the Washington Post two years ago, two summers ago in July. Here's what they're fighting over. This is deferred income of Upshaw's, two point five or nineteen point five million uh, in his checking account, two point seven million, eight luxury vehicles, an airplane, a yacht, and two homes, one in uh, Tahoe and one in Virginia. Now you tell me what union leader in the world has that. How did he get in charge? He got in charge. He, uh, they corrupted it. We voted him out in 74. They, they just they ran a corrupt deal. And uh, they just put Gene in charge. And once he was in charge, like all dictators, he, he was there for 25 years. You tell me a dictator in this world, in the history of mankind, that doesn't think he becomes a god. And that's what happened to Upshaw. He was in power for 25 years. Nobody was watching the wolf in the hen house. And there's no way you can get them out. What? So, what so how, how do players get get control? The retired players get control. We don't get that. Control. We can't. We're, that's why we're taking them to court. That's why we're in court all the time. You can't take. It's like uh, it's, I always said. Football is very. It's like a microcosm of our society. Look at no matter how the people vote, Congress votes for what they want. Correct. Right. The Congress yeah. doesn't vote with the populace wants a lot of times, right? If they did, we would have lower taxes, better better medical, just like the NFL. What do they? What do the politicians promise you every time the, there's a new election? We're going to have better, lower taxes. We won't raise taxes. We'll have better health care for the elderly. Has any of this ever happened? Our union's yeah. the same way. What I found interesting was when you, I saw the financials for the. Union, they had $90 million in cash in the bank. I mean, that's unheard of. What's really unheard of about the union, our union, is that it's the marketing arm for the NFL. They, they market, it's called Players Inc., and they decide. It's, uh, Upshaw was an owner in it, uh, and Doug Allen, and the, uh, Bertelson, and those guys, they all own a piece of the marketing company. Does baseball have uh, their union only part of their marketing company? And they tell which players get the money? Does hockey or basketball? No. But, you see, it gets so complicated that the fans don't care. Here's what they think. Screw those guys. They they live their dreams. They, they made all this money. They're millionaires. Well, guess right. what, guys? When I got drafted and I was happy to take the money, I got 22, 24, 26, 28, 30. First, uh five years of my contract. Nothing guaranteed. Teachers were making around 10 then. 
I thought, man, I'm living the life of Riley here. I mean, I got a great life. And little did we know that down the road, when it came time when the league became a billion-dollar industry, which it is, we would get nothing. They always said, no, we're going to take care of you and your pensions. Never did. Yeah. And that's why that's the fight. And, but and nowadays, things are good. <laughs> so Nowadays, players can make enough in the... You know, a handful of seasons. Not only do they make enough for themselves, they take care of their whole family. I didn't go right. to work. I didn't play in this game for 13 years and never miss a game or a practice. So these guys could take care of their families, you know, 10 generations deep. If you, if you make $5 million and you, you have to worry ever, if I made a million dollars, like right now, I would never have to worry about a thing in my life. I'd pay my house off, pay my car off, right. have money in the bank, and live happily ever after. But they don't even give us a livable pension. My pension for 13 years in that league is $1,247 a month. That's before taxes. Then they, Big Demara Smith says we're going to give him a legacy fund. My legacy fund is $1,104. So my total amount is $28,000 a year for the next 10 years with no cost of living increase and no medical. So you tell me what you, how you feel about uh, the Maris. And, you're, and you're, supposed to, you're supposed to be happy with that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank God. Kiss the ring he, he's got. And this little guy makes, uh, he, he going around the whole year before that. We are one locker room, one family, one this, one that. I knew from the beginning that guy was a, a big BSer, a little BSer. That, that's what he is. And uh, no respect for him at all. Zero. I had, I had none for Upshaw. I even got less for this guy because he's an attorney and he knows what fiduciary responsibilities are. And he said we would never leave the guys without because it's a fiduciary responsibility to take care of them. Him and Drew Brees and the guys on that board, they screwed us, period. That's it. What and I we're found, supposed to sit and worship them. What I found amazing was when they had the strike last year, <clears throat> you guys had a fight to get in the rooms for negotiating, and when they did the settlement, you had no part of it. We, they don't. We have no voice. That's what we're suing over. We have absolutely no voice. Goodell has done a great job. How about how they uh, railroad Goodell into this stuff? They have a bounty. What kind of union would say, okay, we're, we're to protect the players? Then they find out that there's a bounty, and they're defending the guys who have the bounty, who took the bounty out on them. What, what, what is that? They're supposed to be protecting all players. If you put a bounty on some players who's ever in charge of that, including the coach who's the head coach there and the defensive coach, they should both be banned from football. And if you want to really get a big crowd going, you know what I would do? I'd take Damaris Smith, uh, that guy, who, uh, what's his name, Peyton, Sean Peyton, and uh, mm-hmm. Williams. I'd have them returning kicks in the preseason. <laughs> and let's see how tough they were. Those guys talk like they've really played the game. Uh, it's a joke. It is a joke that Damaris Smith and Sean Payton and uh, the other guy can even go up and talk to other players when there was a bounty on them. And the other thing I saw last year was I was going through old Sports Illustrated's in a hobby shop. There was a Sports Illustrated from the early 60s talking about the dangerous aspects of professional football. And this was the early 60s. So the NFL can't come back and say we didn't know football was dangerous because, again, players in the 60s had problems too. Look, if they didn't know they were dangerous, why'd they change all the rules? Right now, why are all the rules changed? No wedge, no chop block, no head slap, 
picked up, pulled up the artificial turf. These guys practice in shells, like they don't practice in full pads. They have a day off during the week. We, because of the guys, of, because of us, they looked at us and they said, "We can't have this. We're, we're going to kill these guys." We had forty-three men rosters. I mean, come on, they got fifty-three guys they can practice with plus a practice squad. I don't begrudge your current players anything. Hey, they're they're good, but they don't realize when we ate at a at a. When we go to the facility, like you go to Rich Stadium, we go there, we pack our own lunch. What do they do? They have breakfast there and dinner and lunch. The best food in the world. All kinds of hydration. Do you think this was just created yesterday? These guys created it? The guys who just started playing in 93? Uh, past 93? No. Your union screwed the former players so you can eat like a pig and you're rich as hell and you can support... Not only your family, scores of your family. Guys go out and have a party for $75,000. I don't make that in my attention in over three years. The kid from Dallas last year throws a party for his buddies, his, uh, the posse, for $75,000. And we're supposed to sit and say, he, he's $75,000 on drinks and food. Come on. We got guys who wives have to take care of these guys. It's, it's pathetic. And 88% of them file bankruptcy or divorce within, what, two years of retiring now? Whatever. I, I could care less what they do because that's like them that say, oh, you're crying because you didn't make the money. No, we made you the money. Deion Sanders gets up there and he, at his Hall of Fame speech and says his mother never missed, uh, he never missed uh, a tackle for his mother who paying a bill. Well, guess what, Deion? We went on strike for you three times for free agency, and we never got it, and you got it. I would love to have been a free agent, even as a guard. I've made all pro eight years. How much would I be worth? This guy gets up there and, you know, they all got a caravan of people with them. And the pre-93 guys got to sit there and put our heads down and say, damn, I hope we get a, I hope they help us with a little bit of a, a pension. I hope they give us this. They give us nothing. Well, what amazes me, you know, whether it's the NFL or whether it's Major League Baseball or whoever, there seems to be such disregard for the players who really did. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. Only in football. In baseball, basketball, and hockey, they take care of their guys. If I was playing baseball, my pension would be $19,700 a month for every year that I played. I'd be making over a quarter million dollars. So they hockey gave, makes more than football. So baseball so gave does it, basketball. So baseball gave that to all the players, like from the 50s and 60s, not just yes, the current ones? Yes, the retired players. Absolutely. We're the only retired players who nobody takes care of, and it's the most dangerous sport of all. What they're doing is they want to delay you, deny you, and hope you die. That's it. Delay, deny, hope they die. And the guys are dying young. And if they don't die young, our quality of life is horrible. I'm I'm lucky. I'm 61. I can still walk. I can still think. But that's the reason I fight so hard for these guys who can't. And uh, I don't get a penny for doing all these radio call-in shows and doing this and that, but I'm not going to shut up because I know what Gene Upshaw is, was, and I know what Damaris Smith is. And I know what Tom, Tom Cotton is, and I know what Dick Bertelson is. I know what they are, is. I'm sounding like they got dementia. But these guys, these guys have abused the former players, and there's nothing you can do about it because we're all over the country. We're no. divided. And you see Earl Campbell, I mean, that poor guy, it was almost like a vegetable. 
So here's the point. If Earl Campbell, if they gave him $200,000 in his pension, what good does it do him? Right? What no. good does it do yeah. you when you get the crap beat out of you and you can't walk? And, and Or the guys who are demented who have... I can understand, like, hey, you play, your, your thumb is broke, your leg is broke. That That's all, okay, that's part of the game. But nobody, and I mean no one, knew that brain injuries are going to come from football played in the 60s and 70s. Nobody. No one in the 80s. It's like uh, cancer, smoking cigarettes. No one knew about cigarettes. No one. And black lung and uh, asbestos. But these people are being taken care of. The only people who aren't are the football players. You think the government's going to get involved like they did with the tobacco? No, I got to protect them. She's our government. That would really be something. No. The send it to Congress and see how long it takes. Our congressmen <laughs> spend more time on uh, steroids for baseball than they did on the Iraqi war. Give me a break. I mean, really. I mean, my mother, who went to eighth grade, my dad went to third. My mother, I said, Ma, we'd be at the Catholic Church. I said, the nuns, they want to have a committee meeting. She goes, I'm not going to any committee meeting. She goes, uh, uh, jackass is a thoroughbred sent to committee. What is the realistic expectation of uh, the real? The real expectation is they're not going to help us. They're going to wait. They're going to do delay, deny, and hope we die. That's what they're going to do. That's the realistic part. Now, if the lawyers can work something out, it'll be three or four years down the road. So, how many more guys are going to die before that? What, what's it take to have uh, the last five players shoot themselves in the chest so they can donate their brain to to uh, Boston University? Yeah. I mean, what else? What else is there? You need to take another study, take a couple more million dollars, pay some scientists. We know what the we know what the outcome is. Help the guys do it, and then they have all these programs. Well, have it, we emailed this? Well, we emailed it. Most people don't even read emails. Sixty or over. Who, who would read them? Then you got to jump through hoops to get them. They don't even have caretakers uh, to help them. They're just out there. Because they're talking about basically football being so dangerous that it might eventually be outlawed. Do you see that happening? No, it's not dangerous now. That's what I'm telling you. We've cleaned oh. it up. Goodell's done a wonderful job. Football's never going to end. They've cleaned this game up so much. They've got great fields. The helmets are much better. Uh, if you get dinged or you get a concussion, you're out for two weeks. Football's great. Football is so safe now. I'd rather, if I were playing, I, I, it's one of the safest sports playing right now. Yeah, you might tear your knee up or something like that. But you're not going to get killed. Uh, you know, you're not going to go through with the pre-73s, you know, 50s, anybody before 93, basically. You're not going to go through that. We, we've done that for you. It's already taken. It's like wearing uh, seatbelts in cars. Hey, you could get thrown out of a car. No, so many people got thrown out of cars that we make them wear, we make it mandatory to wear seatbelts. It's safer driving a car than it was in the 50s and 60s, I promise you that. It's safer playing football right now than it was in the 50s, 60s, 70s. It's common sense. And it's a lot safer. And these guys eat better, they have better equipment, and they don't practice as hard. And all the rules have changed to help them. Go to a blow to the head, that's a fine. So there's not going to be a good outcome for those of you who... There's not a good outcome for us. There's a great outcome for the current players. They make millions of dollars, and they hit less. That's a pretty good deal. And uh, you ask a current player about the former players. Somebody said, well, what, who was Gail Sayer or Larry Zonka? They said, I, I don't know. I thought he played for the Bears. He's a linebacker. These kids don't even know the history of the game. 
Why would they? They're, they're out spending their money. Alvin Bethea made the money a point. they don't spend, their girlfriends and families spend. Alvin Bethea made a nice point to us last month. He said, I really enjoyed this year's inductees into the Hall of Fame because they were humble and they were honored to get in there. He said, a couple years ago, I looked at another Hall of Famer, and this guy kept saying, I earned this, I earned this, and didn't act like oh, yeah. it was Darryl honored. Green, Darryl Green, this is my day. I earned this day. This year was the most refreshing Hall of Fame ever. I've been going for 10 years. That's what I've gone to. Chris Dolman and um, DeMonte Dawson and uh, Willie Roth and uh, Kennedy. Man, they were great. And then, then they had the old guy in there, Jack, and I can't remember Jack's last name, but he was 75 years old, and he knew everybody in the Hall of Fame. He knew the history of the game. Chris Dolman understands what the guys went through, all those guys do. And uh, it was really great to have that class in there. The only thing I'm worried about next year's class is if Parcells goes in, I don't see Parcells being humble because I saw him there this year, and he kind of looked like he should be here now. Well, I don't know. He seemed like a nice guy to me. I don't know from Adam. I, I just think it's criminal with the, how they treat the former players. You go to the Hall of Fame, and um, you know they say they're honoring the former guys, and half the guys are basically living paycheck to paycheck. And it's brutal. And it's not their fault because they... The game beat the heck out of you. And it's um, just bad. I was there this year. Who was the clown who, when he was given Len Dawson the award, kept saying Ken Dawson? I don't know. I don't know. I I mean, I, I enjoy that weekend because um, it's a history of the game. I'm a big football guy. I love it. And I just wish, you know, it was different. I wish what happened is they got lawyers involved and they grew in the game. I, Coach Ringo coached me for seven years, and I think Howard Mudd coached me for five. I had great coaches, great time, great fun. But now the bad part is you're seeing what the effects of it's had on my teammates. What was your favorite that moment in the NFL? What was your favorite moment in the game? My fam- favorite moment? The very Dave. first game I started when uh, I started as a rookie, first, first game my rookie year, when I just thought to myself, I'm the ninth of ten kids. My dad had me when he's 43. My mother was like 41, and I got a younger sister, and no one went to college. And I thought to myself, man, my mom and dad are sitting in Detroit watching this game, saying, holy cow, my son's starting in the NFL. And that was the biggest thrill of my life, to have my 43-year-old, uh, my 60-some-year-old father at that time uh, have the guts to have <laughs> have kids when you're in your 40s or stupidity, but he made us go to school, he made us, you know, he made, he sacrificed his, uh, himself to go to send us to Catholic school, so we had discipline and learned what to do and how to treat people. My mother always would say, you treat the president like the janitor, and the janitor like the president, and you'll be successful in life. Okay. So and that, was, that was my biggest thrill, just to be able to start the NFL. Excellent advice. Now, was me and Joe Green the favorite uh, to go up against for you? No, I don't. I nobody. Who, what are you, a masochist? <laughs> nobody wants to go against Joe Green. I get when I fly into Buffalo or Pittsburgh Airport, I get butterflies thinking about that guy. He, he was a great player. I mean, we we did the smart thing. We ran away from him, like we'd run sweeps and things like. OJ had 188 yards one game. We rushed him up for 303 yards in 1975 against the Steelers, and they were good. 
But guess what? Joe Green and LC and all those guys are taking all the game because we'd pitch the ball and the two guards run in front of OJ and away we go. And uh, he was frustrated, I think, a lot of times because he didn't get the pass rush. We only throw the ball like 10 times against him to all play action. So he, he's a great player. I mean, I was lucky to. I'm glad, I'm glad I pulled half the time. I didn't even see him. But uh, no, he was great. And you also had some great running backs with the Browns with the uh, Pruitt brothers. Oh, Pruitt, man. I See, I was fortunate. Every team I played on, Ferguson and Sype, tight ends, Ozzie Newsom, and, uh, who's in the Hall of Fame, and Seymour, who's like Jerry Kramer. He was a blocker, like a Ditka type guy. Uh, the backs were Pruitt, Pruitt and Pruitt, uh, Kelvin Hill, Cleo Miller, and then, um, you know, we just had, in Buffalo, we had Ahmad Rashad, J.D. Hill, Bobby Chandler. Great wide receivers. I was blessed to be on good teams. If I played in New Orleans or something like that, I wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, I'll tell you that. Now, once upon a time, when you competed in the NFL Strongest Man competition? Yeah, I did okay in that. But I was prouder that I won the NFL racquetball tournament. And I I won the AFC arm wrestling. But I won the racquetball tournament. Now all those guys are little guys. I won it one year, and then the next year, Sepion beat me in the finals. But I kept telling him he should be like a jockey. He should have to put weight on this little guy. I I outweighed him by 100 pounds, and it took him three games. Yeah, but uh, anyway, I, I was lucky. I played sports my whole life. So, but, you know, I, I, God's blessed me. A good good body and great families. My wife's family, my family. We've been married 41 years. We've got six kids. We raised three other ones. Everything is good. The only thing that isn't good is our pension. Hopefully. And so, hopefully. other than that, it can't get any better. So if I if I had my choice between a lousy pension and a lousy married life and family life, I take the lousy uh, pension. I, I'm, I'm okay. I can survive without the pension, but I couldn't survive without my family. Would you have played the game if you had the chance to do it over again? That's a tough question. You know why? Because we didn't know the things. I loved it. I was addicted to football. Would I have my grandsons play it right now? I don't know. I don't think so. For me, yeah, I play because, you know, everything being equal, I play, I'd still play, but I won't play, I won't have my children play it how we played it. How they play now, I guess they could play it, but why won't I play it? They make millions of dollars. And I'm not saying money's everything, but it sure helps. Hopefully these so. players nowadays get, hold the union and say, we got to do something for the former players, but like you said, I they don't, don't. see it happening. They, they had their chance last year and they didn't do anything. Because guys like Drew Brees and that, they got their heads in the sand. They listened to this guy, Damaris Smith and uh, Tom Cond and all these agents. All they did is take the money from the rookies, gave it to the guy, the older players. But guess who's keeping the money? The agents. Exactly. That, that's all they did. They switched around. They instead of uh, Stafford and those guys making all the money, and now that now they give money to like uh, the kid from Buffalo side for fifty mil. You know, they gave it to the veteran players, but guess who keeps keeping the money? The agents. You're exactly right. It, it's really disgusting, to tell you the truth, because here's guys who've never had a bloody nose in their life just screwing over guys who really are tough guys but can't do anything about it. What a great show today, Elliot. Joe DeLamalure in the beautiful Miss Illinois. Nancy Toe. I'm so happy to be here. So what do you got coming up, Nancy? Well, this Saturday I will be... And a special, special guest at the Green Tie Ball, uh, brought to you by Gateway Green. 
Um, and also, at the end of this month, I have a an, another appearance with the Big Shoulders Fun Ball. And this is a charity that was part of my platform when I was um, going for Miss Illinois. And what I love about them is that they help inner-city kids get into private Catholic schools. And I happen to work at one of those Catholic schools, Josephinium Academy. So it really means a lot. And I see the goodness they bring to the school, not just getting the students into the schools, but also the difference they make with volunteers in the actual schools, painting the walls, doing the beautifying the gardens, the surroundings. So it's such a great event. Outstanding. I used to have to do that when I stayed after school. That was the punishment. (laughs) (laughs) We want to thank, again, all our guests today. And I'm David Spade here with Elliot Harris. Another great job by our sound man, Dave Olson. Thanks for listening to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com.